Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, how did a kid from Pittsburgh develop one of the best, most practical, theological YouTube channels out there with over a million subscribers? You're going to find out today from my friend Alan Parr, the beat with Alan Parr. We're here together right now in Albuquerque, New Mexico, because we're both teaching at the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. Alan's a brand new instructor with us because he does some great work. You grew up in Pittsburgh, (laughs) and you grew up in a Christian home, Yeah, and you went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and then you taught math for eight years, 11 years, how long? 11 years. Why? And and then you started a YouTube channel. Yeah. Give us how this happened and how you got to where you are now. Long journey, yes. So uh, essentially, um, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you as always, man. Uh, Yeah, I I got saved whenever I was uh, eight years old. All right. Uh, Essentially, uh, my parents got divorced when I was six, and uh, my father, uh, it was a really difficult divorce. It was really uh, tough for him. So he wasn't a Christian uh, at the time, but because of the divorce, he turned to the Lord, and he actually became a Christian, actually ended up being a minister a little bit later on. So he led me and my sister to the Lord. My sister's two years older than me. So at eight years of age, uh, he led me to the Lord. I remember having a very, um, just a vivid experience. I remember knowing for sure that, you know, Jesus was my savior and whatnot. But between the ages of eight and let's say 19 or so, I didn't really have a relationship with the Lord. I went to church every week with my mom, grew up in the church, but wasn't really walking with the Lord in any real tangible way. Never really, really read my Bible, never did anything like that. But it wasn't until, as I just got done speaking a little bit while ago, uh, a man by the name of Deacon Kevin Miller, I went to school in Cleveland, Ohio to study engineering, uh, electrical engineering. And uh, he was a local deacon at the church. And uh, he came down to our campus to lead a Bible study with me and a few of my Christian friends. And at that point, I hadn't been to church in a whole freshman year of uh, college, really wasn't interested in church. But he took a special interest in me, and he uh, really... um, uh, wanted to disciple me and others. And so I, he was a little bit older, seemed like he was pretty cool. So I said, Hey, you know, sure thing. We'll give it a shot. And so really because he was teaching the Bible in a way that really made sense for the first time in my life, it sparked an interest in me. It's like, okay, the Bible is cool. The Bible's fun. Uh, and, uh, I started reading it and that was 30 years ago. That was in 1993, roughly 30 years, by 1994 or so. And I've not been able to st- put the Bible down since that one investment from him, from his life, uh, really, uh, impacted me so much that I started reading the Bible. So fast forward a little bit, it's now 1998 and I graduate from case Western reserve university with my master of engineering. And I go to work at uh, Ford motor company, mm. uh, to be an engineer. And I worked there for two years and without going into all the details while I was there, I got a chance to preach my first sermon. And it was at that moment that I knew that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So 
left there and went to Dallas Theological Seminary in 2000, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened after that. And What degree did you that. get at Dallas? That's one of the better seminaries around. It's a very ro- robust program. You have to, what, you have to get how many semesters of Greek and Hebrew down? To... Yeah, it was five. I think it was 120 total credit hours for a Master of Theology. It's degree. like going to a four-year college again. All over again. For right. a master's degree. Exactly. So what was the degree you got? <laughs> I got a Master of Theology degree with an emphasis in pastoral leadership. Okay, so you graduated in 2004. 2004, yeah. And then you, you're you a math teacher for eight years. Did did you continue to preach? Did you? What did you... Yeah. Why, why didn't you go right into pastorate or ministry at the time? What well, happened? I, I tried to. All right. I did. So I graduated from seminary in 2004, landed my first uh, job in 2004, right out of seminary at a small church. Uh, and I was on staff there full time for about two years. And without going into all the crazy details of what happened, essentially, I was promised to make a certain salary. And uh, after being on staff there for a year and a half, he never increased my salary. I was making like $30,000 a year full time, and he didn't want me working anywhere other than the church. Well, I did that for about a year and a half, never got a raise. And so I went to him. I said, hey, man, you know, my money's running out. All my savings is gone. Let's get that raise that was in my contract that, you know, you said that I was going to be able to make this amount of money, which is why I agreed to kind of come on and work with you at a lower, a lower, um, you know, salary that didn't happen. So what ended up happening is I ended up having to supplement my income at the church by working at a school and I was doing tutoring part-time at a school just to try to make ends meet. Well, he didn't like that because he felt like, hey, you're full-time here. But I was doing it after hours, but Mm. he felt like it was taking me away from the church. Make a long story short, we parted ways. Things didn't work out there. And here I am two years after seminary with now three degrees, a bachelor in engineering, a master's in engineering, and a master of theology degree from seminary. And I'm unemployed and I have no, you know, no prospects of what I'm going to do. You just didn't have enough faith. I didn't have enough faith, man. I I, I should have trusted God, man. I was trying to trust God, man, but Uh faith didn't seem to make it. I wasn't Uh able to be prosperous, man. Like, like I was promised, you know, but, uh, so essentially what happened after that is, um, the same school that I was tutoring at part time, they needed a teacher and, at the time, I'm like, well, you know, I've always been good at math. I was an engineering major. So sure, I'll do this for a certain time just to, you know, be able to make ends meet. Maybe I'll do it for a school year or whatnot. And uh, turns out that I ended up teaching high school math for 11 years. Uh, never, ever. 11 years. 11 not years. eight years. No, 11, 11 years, years. 11 years from 2006 to 2017. Never in my wildest dreams. Because remember, I went to This doesn't add up, man. Doesn't add up. I went (laughs) to seminary to be in ministry full-time. Now, during that window, I was also bivocational. I was leading worship at a church, um, part-time, always So you're not only a preacher, you're also a singer. Yeah, I did a lot of worship. Yeah, singing and playing, and and that's kind of... Churches, that's what they were willing to pay for. You know, they right. weren't willing to pay you to come and teach a Bible study because oh, we can no. get any local deacon to do that that's at our church. That's right. That's right. But we can't get people to sing and play and lead the choir. So they they paid me for that. But while I was doing that, I got chances to teach and preach and and do Bible studies and kind of hone my gift. And but it was always part time, and I was never able to really hone in and do full time, which is why I'm so thankful for what I'm doing now because. 
now 20 years later, which is a lot of gaps of stuff in there, but I'm finally now able to be full time. So how did you get into YouTube? Because that really helped launch your ministry. People knew about you and know about you now from YouTube. How did this happen? Yeah. So, so, uh, so there's two sides of the story. So there's the ministry side and there's the personal side, right? Mm -hmm. So the ministry side is 2006 to 2015, 2006, I started teaching high school math, bivocational. Uh, and then 2000, all that time I was a single guy, which was a whole nother journey. That was frustrating because I'm single and I'm a minister. And so I'm, I'm living a celibate life. That's no fun, you know? And so all my friends were married, they were having kids. And, um, due to just a lot of things going on in my brain, parents divorce and not really growing up, seeing a, like a solid family and a solid uh, marriage. I just had these fears in my mind about committing and, mm. and things of that nature. So I never was able to really settle in on, you know, the right girl. I kind of went from relationship to relationship, searching for love, trying to find the right connection. But, um, and I did that for up until 2014. And it was, uh, it was February 14th, Valentine's day, wow. 2014 where I met my wife at a church that we were uh, attending, uh, at least actually she was attending the church. I had just left the church I was on staff at for six years. I left that church and because it felt like, well, actually, I started looking at YouTube. I started looking at what might my next move be in ministry because it was a small church of about 250 people. And I felt like I'd been there for six years, had taught all kinds of Bible studies and preached and everything. But I just felt in my heart that God had something bigger for me. God had something different for me. I knew that I had a gift. I knew I had the education from Dallas Seminary. But I felt like more of the world needed to hear what I had to say. But I didn't know what that looked like. So I started researching YouTube and I started seeing, wow, these people are, you know, having a serious impact, a lot of reach, reaching people, thousands of people with one video. And, and I said, what if, what if I could create a Christian YouTube channel that answers people's questions mm. and, and, uh, and teaches the Bible in a fun, relevant way that doesn't bore people that's quick and short and concise, but interesting and enter entertaining and easy to listen to. And so I didn't know anything about YouTube. I didn't know anything about video editing, graphic design, thumbnails, SEO, titles, you name it. Didn't know anything. Um, audio, video, video editing, nothing. So I learned it. I learned it all by watching YouTube. And uh, so there's two major changes happening in my life at the same time. I met this girl that I started feeling things for that I never felt in any of the other relationships I'd ever been in. I'd been in a lot of relationships, but something was different about mm -hmm. her. I fell madly in love with her. And so um, that was that kind of coincided with my journey to YouTube. So I got married in 2015, November 15th, on my 40th birthday. So my you wedding. Were 40. I was 40. And I got married on my 40th birthday. So my wedding anniversary is the same day as my birthday. And so I got married on November 15th, 2015. And uh, essentially, um, I started my YouTube channel August 17th of 2015. So it's just like, man, my life was just kind of, I don't know, I was just kind of struggling along for so many plodding years, along. plodding along, trying to figure out ministry. But you had the career, education. Had the education, yeah. had the experience, had the gifting, Yeah. Um, but didn't have the life partner. 
and didn't have the platform. Uh, and all that started to come together in 2015. Now, mind you, in 2015, I was still teaching high school math because right. clearly you don't yeah. just start YouTube and start going full time. Right, it doesn't right. work like that. Right, right. And so now, here we are, fast forwarding eight years later, over yeah. a million subscribers. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of YouTube as much social media, I mean, there's there's a lot of good and a lot of bad about social media, but one of the great things is you can speak to several million people yeah. and you would never be able to do that personally. No. Right? You no. get a video that goes a million, two million people, you you could spend the rest of your life speaking to churches. You'll never you'll never get there. <laughs> you'll, right? You'll never, you'll never even you'll never even get that in you know if you add them all up right. together. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So how do you choose your topics, uh, and what process do you go through to actually make a video? Yeah, yeah. So um, man, uh, there's so many different things I look at as it relates to topics. You know, um, you know, as we're going to talk about tonight, really, um, it's where. It's where passion, proficiency, and performance all align. So if you okay. can imagine like a Venn diagram, right? We have three circles. So I look at what, first of all, what has God put on my heart? What mm -hmm. is the Holy Spirit leading me? What, have, what am I going through personally? What am I passionate about? Mm -hmm. What subjects am I interested in? What have I been studying in the Bible lately? What's, mm -hmm. what's, what's God been pressing on my heart? Okay, good. And then what am I proficient at? What are the areas where I know I can speak on, whether it's end time events, Bible prophecy, or answering people's questions. What is it that I know I'm wired to speak on? How's God wired me? But then what are the videos that have performed well on YouTube, whether it's my channel or other people's channels? What are the things that people have been responding to online? Put those three things together. And then I start looking at, okay, how can I now be creative in communicating these things? So whether that's through podcasts, whether that's through interviews with people like yourself, or whether that's through uh, long form content or frequently asked questions, or, um, you know, I just think about, you know, what are the different ways that I can communicate these things? So sometimes I choose my topics from just random thoughts I have. Sometimes it's questions that people ask me in uh, Instagram or Facebook or leaving a comment on my YouTube channel. People will email you and say, Alan, can you do a, a video on X? Yeah. Sometimes that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. it happens a lot. Yeah. Now, it takes a ton of work to do this. People don't realize. And you were doing two a week at one point. And one, things I re one of the things I respect about you is you said, I just can't continue at this pace yeah. because of your t it's taking too much time away from my family. Yeah. And so you went to one a week. Yeah. Uh, and you admitted, hey, you thought, am I going to lose subscribers? Am I going to lose views? Am I going to lose the influence that I have? And you said, well, my family's more important than that anyway. Mm -hmm. So how has that been now that you're back to just say one a week? Yeah. So what's so interesting about this YouTube journey is when I started out on YouTube in 2015, I'd say for the first two years or so, I did one video a week because remember I was still teaching sure. high school math. Yeah. So that's yeah. all I could do. And I was trying to be a husband. I was mm -hmm. newly married. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I was doing everything on my own. I had no team. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing everything. I didn't have, I didn't have a Jorge and you know, I didn't right. have any, I didn't have any, anybody to help. So, um, you know, I was doing all those, uh, things. And so, um, uh, you know, I was doing one video a week and, uh, and they were all quick videos, five minutes or less. I mean, I mm -hmm. prided myself on being the guy that's going to pack a ton of content right. in five, five minutes or so. But then as people started reaching out and saying, Hey man, we'd like to hear you a little bit more on that, you Long know, Hey, you know, yeah. you know, expand on that. 
Because I just assumed, well, you know, shorter videos is better. But people were like, hey, we want to. So then that gave me, it freed me up to create more longer videos, which go on somewhere with that. Because now that, that those five minute videos turned into 10, 12, 15 minute videos. And those took a lot longer to shoot, a lot longer to write, a lot longer to edit. Do you script it all? I do. Okay, so you you're going to be precise because you're a theologian. Yeah, I want to make sure that you're giving people the truth and you're not just going off the cuff. Yeah, I don't read from the script. Okay, but I script it out to make sure I'm thinking through how I want to say and what I want to say. Right. Yeah. For me, even doing a presentation, content of course is important, but sometimes the order. Yes. Is how you how do you package something so it makes logical sense to the viewer so they can track along with you. Exactly. And how do you segue from one point to another? In fact, so much of it, in addition to order for me anyway, is not what I put in. What do I leave out? Right. I can't, I can't, Spend too much time on that. That's exactly It'll get bogged down. Yeah. I've got to stay focused. I could say a lot more, but it's going to bog down the video or bog down the presentation. Yeah. So you're experiencing the same thing I am. Yeah, same thing. I mean, when I started, you know, I, people, it's so funny sometimes when people ask me, you know, they'll email me and say, hey, you know, I don't know if you do this or not, but do you, you know, do you speak? Do you speak at churches? Uh And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's what I did. Before. What do you think I was doing before I started on YouTube? You know, like, yeah, I mean, uh-huh. I, all I did was speak at churches before. Uh-huh. But I guess because people see me as a YouTuber, they don't know if I speak now. But the thing is, is that, you know, I was coming from an environment where my sermons were 40, 45 minutes. Of course. And now I'm trying to condense it all into five, six minutes. And it really makes you, you know, very efficient to think about, okay, how can I communicate the same thing in a five-minute message? So, so, Alan, if you get one chance with an audience, say a church asks you in and says, Alan, we want you to talk about whatever topics on your heart, what's the one topic that you think is burning on your heart you want people to know? Yeah, I'd probably say two of them right, right. right now. It probably changes from year okay, to year, but right. I'd say right now the two that are, are most pressing for me would be um, spiritual maturity, Okay, the importance of spiritual maturity. Uh, it's the first one, All right. because I think that one of the biggest problems that we have in the church today, when I say in the church, in the body of Christ, I'll just say, sure. is um, spiritually immature Christians yes. and biblically illiterate Christians, and okay. Christians that, if I can be honest, are lazy. Yes. They're lazy in their study of the Word of God. They're lazy in their understanding of their their own faith, apologetics. Right. We know right. that. You ask them simple questions, you know, well, you know, is Jesus the only way to get to God? Well, I think so. I mean, I think so. You know, it's like- They just couldn't kinda, defend it, though. Couldn't defend it, right. even if they, and it's waffling and different, right. even Barna statistics seem to show, prove that out. You know, people don't know what they believe. Mm-hmm. You know, so this 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 lukewarm Christianity, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, I just believe we're in an age, especially now, yeah, all the deconstruction with all of the competing arguments and competing messages that are going on. We need more Christians to stand up and be spiritually mature. So that'd be the first one. Number one, okay. Uh, the second one is is discipleship, and I talked huh. about that a little bit earlier. In well, this they're kind of related, actually. They are. Yeah, spiritual maturity and discipleship. Yeah, if you if you if you have someone in your life or you know who's uh, pouring into you. You know, they can help you become more spiritually mature. And, and and for me, I am the man I am today because a few men over the past 25 years, 30 years or so have poured into me and helped me make good decisions in my life, um, helped me understand what ministry looks like, what it looks like to be a husband, a father. Um, and so all those things didn't just happen because, you know, I woke up and I tried harder. I had men that poured into me. And Jesus told us to make disciples. He didn't say make believers, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. He told us to make disciples. And I think it is the most difficult thing 
that a pastor has to lead, and that is the discipleship of his flock for a number of reasons. Uh, It's really hard to get people together and to disciple them. It's uh, difficult to live life with so many people. If you go to a big church, you really can't. You've got to be in a small group to make this happen. What are some ways that you think people can be discipled or can disciple others? How, do, how, how does this happen? How do we get people to spiritual maturity in this day and age? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, uh, I want to answer that, but also want to answer the other question ahead. that you asked a while back about how's it working for me with regards to uh, taking a step back from... Oh, yeah, sure. Go one. Ahead. I completely forgot to answer that. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I got, I got uh, <laughs> turned around there. Right. But um, but yeah, um, uh, it, it's been amazing, Frank. Right. You know, I, it's God has really been faithful because... Since we've gone to one video a week, we, I've I've seen the most explosive growth on the YouTube channel that we've seen in years. Okay, you know, videos that are outperforming our normal videos in terms of views and engagement Good. and things of that nature, and and I just see that as God's confirmation. Uh-huh. But more than the channel, just my own mental health. I mean, sure, having to put going from eight videos a month to four is huge, you know, writing scripts. I mean, it's, you know, what I do is a lot different than what you do in terms of, you know, I know you go speak and you take your clips and you got a team that puts them together. Right. But for me, I'm writing new scripts, right. you know, I'm, I'm putting together. The, so putting eight of those together in one month. It's a lot of work. It was just a lot of work yeah. and it was taxing. So now what life looks like for me is more time with my family, more time by myself, less stress, better mental health, more time playing golf, more time playing racquetball, more play, time playing chess, more time to focus on other aspects of my own ministry mm-hmm. that I've not I've neglected, right? right? So that's that's what life looks like with that. But as far as your question about discipleship, yeah. man, I think people make it sound like it's got to be a whole lot more difficult than it is. And I think a lot of times we shy away from it because we see discipleship as Oh man, I've got to have you know a master of theology from Dallas Seminary. I've got to be able to teach the Bible, mm-hmm. and I've, I've got to know the answer to all the questions that anyone's ever going to ask me. So mm-hmm. because I'm not there, uh, I'm not I'm the not right guy. Anything. I'm not going to do anything. Right. And I love what Jesus said in the Great Commission. He says, "Go ye therefore in all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what I have commanded you." He doesn't say go teach them the hypostatic union or, you know, substitutionary atonement or, um, you know, the Trinity or some sort of deep eschatology, Uh soteriology, ecclesiology. Uh Teach them what I've commanded you. Teach them how to be a good husband. Teach them how to be a good wife. Teach them, teach them how to be a, a good father. How to resist temptation. How to, uh, you know, how to resist sin. How to confess your sin. I mean, these are basic principles that any Christian who's been walking with the Lord for a while should have you know, pretty solid. And, and Jesus is saying, Hey, take what you've learned, take your failures, take your flaws, take your, take your experiences, take your wisdom, uh, things that God has set you free from that you used to struggle with, uh, go and pour that into someone else. So I think it can look like one-on-one discipleship. Mm-hmm. I also think it can look like small group discipleship. Mm-hmm. I think we see Jesus doing, doing that in the gospels where he had, he had 12 and then he had three, um, you know, and so, um, so how do you do that practically in your own life? Yes. What, what's what's a routine that you have? Yeah, yeah. So give some insight on that. In certain seasons of my life, it's looked formal. It's been formally done. In other seasons, it's been informal. So I'll explain that. So some I've had people that I've discipled in the past where it's been a, we are entering into a formal discipleship relationship where we will meet regularly. Let's say every week, whether it's Zoom or Starbucks, and 
this isn't something you got to sign your life away for two years. Like, you know, that's what people get intimidated. It can be three months. And I think it's a good thing to set that on the beginning and say, hey, how would you feel if over the next three or four months, well, let's be specific, over the next four months, we get together on Fridays for coffee or every other Friday, if that's too much for you, coffee at this coffee shop uh, at 9 a.m. To, to 10 a.m., one hour. Or if that's too much, hey, I've got drive time. Uh, instead of me listening to a podcast or something, I'll give you my drive time on my way to work once a week. And you can just ask me questions about whatever you want. It can look like many different ways. The biggest thing is making yourself available. So for me, sometimes that's been formal. Other times, like right now, I have, I have a couple guys that I'm just informally, I'm checking up with them on a regular basis. They know they can call me at any time. They do call me certain times. We meet, we talk, we Zoom, we pray. Um, and I'm just a source of, uh, wisdom and encouragement for them. Um, sometimes it looks like teaching them a principle. Sometimes it looks like me just listening and giving them advice. And people did that for you. People did that for me in different ways, formally and informally. All right. So sometimes you're just answering their questions. Sometimes it's just, Hey, what's going on in your life? Sometimes you may be going through a book. Yeah. With them or yeah, article, a video. Uh, okay, all right. Yeah, I find out what pain points they're dealing with through uh-huh. a couple conversations. You know, like one guy that I'm dealing with now, he's in the same situation as I was. He's single. He's a good guy, good looking guy. He's a great guy. He wants to be married. He's trying to be celibate. And I'm like, well, hey, I'm the guy for you because I can tell you all <laughs> about that journey and, and how uh-huh. frustrating it was, but how important it is. Yes. To to honor God in mm-hmm. this season, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, um, and I've got another guy who's the same exact age, but he's a young married guy. And so he's newly married. And so he and I have been talking a lot and I've been giving him advice about marriage and things like that. What do you say to somebody out there who is a new Christian? They uh, are not in a discipleship relationship at all right now. How can they get involved in a a discipleship relationship? Well, that's the thing that's kind of sad, Frank, is that, you know, you would hope that churches would have, you know, a focus, uh, an an intentional focus on discipleship. Uh, But sadly, you know, there's a lot of churches that don't seem to have a clear discipleship plan nor focus. But what I would say is I would, if I was a young Christian and I'm at a church, I would, I would go to the church and I would ask my pastor and say, Hey, you know what? What 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 program or uh, what group can I get into? Because I really want to grow spiritually. I don't want to be left out here on my own. Or is there a group of men or women who can mentor me? Is there is there, is there someone that you recommend? Or is there some course or some sort of track that I excuse me that I can get involved in uh, that will help me grow my faith? Uh, and 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 I, in my opinion, if you're at a church and they they say no to both of those. Mm. You got the wrong church. Yeah, you might have the wrong church, or you might want to challenge that church and say, well, you know, that's kind of sad. I mean, I, mm. you, I got baptized, I got saved, and now I'm here, and you know, I want to start growing. There's nothing here for me to grow, and uh, so that's unfortunate, but that, that can happen. This may be a hard question to answer, so because it might take some searching the, uh, the archives of your mind, but as you look back on your life, you've been discipled by certain men. Has there been enduring lessons that you've learned from them that helped you make decisions that you wouldn't have made otherwise Mm. that have helped get you to be more of a follower of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Can you think of anything specific that this happened? I was in this relationship 
And I'm so glad I was because I never would be where I am now with Jesus Man. unless that person was in my life. Yeah, I can think of two two very specific All ones. Right. Um, one of them was back in 2002. I was engaged to uh, a, a woman uh, who's obviously not my wife now, but mm-hmm. um, I was engaged. I mean, got the ring for her, got you know the dress. Uh, we put money down on an engagement, or excuse me, a reception hall. Um, uh, a, um, a honeymoon package and all that stuff. Whole deal. Whole deal. And I was like five months away from making the biggest mistake of my life. Mm. And um, I had a man who was discipling me at the time. We went out to lunch and uh, he uh, he gave me the courage to think long-term versus short-term. What did he see that you didn't see? Well, I'll tell you exactly what's interesting is that this is the interesting part. He and I were meeting for lunch and he had brought about three or four books that he was going to give me that was going to help me become a better hu- a, a better husband. They were all like, how to communicate with your wife, mm-hmm. how to resolve conflict. Because in his mind, the meeting was supposed to be, I'm pre- helping Alan prepare for marriage because he's getting ready to get married. But what he noticed in me through conversation and some questions was a lot of doubt. He noticed that I was unsure and my answers didn't sound like the type of answers you would expect from a man who's getting ready to spend the rest of his life with a woman that he says he loves. And I had a lot of doubt, a lot of nervousness, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty about not just the institution of marriage, because I think that can be natural for some people, but the person I was marrying. Mm. He heard that you know we, we didn't get along very well. We didn't, we didn't have a friendship. We didn't have a lot of things in common. We weren't spiritually mat- uh, compatible. You know, here I am a seminary student and she wasn't really interested in ministry. And so, you know, things just weren't right. So he right. called you out on that. He called me out on that. And he really said, hey, man, I don't like what I'm hearing. You know, this is, you know, the, I, and matter of fact, what was interesting was that he was married before. Oh. And he had made the mistake of ignoring all of the red flags okay. and ignoring his own voice, saying this is the wrong relationship. And he ended up getting married and ended up getting a divorce. But then he was married, happily married at that point for 10, 15 years. And he's still married to the same woman now. And, and so he was... He was hearing in me, and that's what I mean about sometimes God can use our failures and our flaws from our past yes. to help someone else, because he was hearing in me some of the same things he ignored in his first Well, marriage. that's 2 Corinthians 1. We can comfort others, because we've been through difficulty, Yeah, and if they're going through difficulty, we know we've been there. So friends, if you don't have somebody that can speak truth into your life, a mature Christian, then you need to find somebody who can and give them the permission to do so. What's the second thing? Yeah, the second one was about uh, four years ago, I had a man who uh, was discipling me, and this was a formal discipleship relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest lesson I got there was, interestingly enough, that uh, I needed to be intentional about making disciples. Because before that, um, for me, ministry meant um, a, a YouTube video that got... 200,000 views or speaking at a church or doing, you know, a conference like this one, to me, that, that was ministry. I didn't equate ministry with disciple making. And, and he really helped me understand that, hey, Jesus spent way more time with his disciples. Matter of fact, I just talked about this. 17 times in the gospels, we see Jesus speaking to large crowds. 46 times we see Jesus spending time with his disciples in a one, you know, in small group format. But yet many of us, we, we see ministry as the big stage, you know, all the fanfare, getting all the views and things like that. 
but it's radically different from how Jesus saw discipleship, which is spending intentional time with people. So it was a total paradigm shift from what I had seen as ministry for, at that point, 20 years, because this was in 2019. I never really was intentional about making disciples. But after his experience, after his deposit into me, um, from that point forward, I've been very intentional about making sure that I, um, you know, make disciples. So how did you, what did you do to become more intentional? Yeah, just started being, just started seeking out people that, um, that I felt like I could, that they could benefit from my wisdom instead of waiting for them to ask you to ask me, I would just say, Hey, you know, could you, could you use someone right now in your life? Someone that, you know, might be a little bit further down the line than Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. that, you know, could give you some advice, give you some wisdom or, um, and to this day, I've never had one person, you know, say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good, man. You know, most of the time people are in a place where they're like, man, yeah, I could really use, I could use that. So how many guys are you doing? Are you Right now, I've right got now. about two guys, and that's okay. that's nothing I would advise. Don't try to save the world. Yeah. Nobody has time for for that. You right. know, we don't want to overwhelm yourself. But mm-hmm. but sometimes, honestly, if, if just imagine Frank, if if everybody in the body of Christ chose one person, just yeah. one person, right. to disciple per year, yeah, per year, you know. And I just talked about this out there: is who is going to be standing on a stage thirty years from now, saying that they are who they are because of your investment in them? Just like me, I was standing on stage just a few minutes ago here at this CIA uh, uh, academy, uh, and because Deacon Kevin Miller made an investment mm-hmm. in my life in 1994, mm-hmm. he doesn't even know I. He probably doesn't even well, he remembers me, I'm sure, but he doesn't. He doesn't know that I'm giving him credit now, almost 30 years later. Right. But that's the power of of discipleship. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, and yeah. uh, it needs to be done. Discipleship is the missing element of church, and as Paul says in Ephesians 4, that the purpose of church, the central purpose, is to equip the saints to do ministry, Yeah, and therefore have them become disciples in order to do so. That's Jesus's great commission. So if we're not actually fulfilling the great commission, we're not doing church, ladies and gentlemen. Again, the great commission is not making believers, it's making disciples. Now, what's coming up for you, Alan, uh, with the channel? What yeah. Any new direction you're going in? Any new topics you want to broach? Uh, what are you thinking about right now? Well, um, it's depending upon when this this goes. Uh, Say mid August. Mid August. We'll oh, this. okay. Yeah, with well, the mid August, then uh, we are going to be in the middle of a series on biblical sexuality. Oh, very. Good. Uh, I'm going to be answering four questions about that. What does the Bible say about sex? Um, uh, what are some common myths or misconceptions that Christians have about sex? Um, how to deal with shame from your sexual past, whether that's whatever that's from, right? And then uh, how do you talk to your kids about sex? Mm. When do you talk to your kids about sex? And I'm actually going to be partnering with Covenant Eyes, and uh, we're going to do a, a kind of a, a four-part series Covenant on that. Covenant Eyes, the the, uh, the internet filter people? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we're kind right. of doing the whole thing, but uh, and so they're kind of, you know, um, not promoting it, but I guess sponsoring right. the videos and things okay, like that. Good. So we'll be kind of working with them. But um, yeah, so that's next, but but bigger than minish, bigger than that. Um, we really want to continue creating, you know, our online courses and helping equip people. Tell people uh, about the online courses. Yeah, we've got a we've got a course called the Bible Accelerator, which is our flagship course. That's basically a biblical literacy course. It teaches you the inductive Bible study method that I learned in seminary, but really packaged in a very easy to understand format. Take you about six hours to get through, but it is packed with, you know, just super super easy. Um, 
principles for how to study the Bible like a like a theologian, right? And so, where uh, do they go to get that course? Yeah, so they can go to um, letsequip.com forward slash Bible Accelerator. So okay. our website, letsequip.com slash Bible Accelerator. Uh, that's the name of the course. It's supposed to accelerate your knowledge of the Bible and how to study it. All right, that's so. excellent. So check that out. And the YouTube channel is uh, the Beat. Uh, by Alan Parr. And also what's next is I got to write another book too. Well, tell, uh, yeah, we, we, a few yeah. months ago, yeah, we, we did a, a podcast, a radio program on your first book. Yeah. Tell people about that briefly. And what's the, you got another book coming? Yeah. Well, I've got, I'm, I've got to do another book with uh, the contract that I'm on. Right. So, uh, but the first book is about uh, false teachings, how right. Christians, as, as you, as you remember, yeah. um, as you, I appreciate your uh, input oh, no, on absolutely. that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, seven false teachings that uh, are leading many Christians astray. It's called misled. Uh, people can purchase that now on Amazon or any any mm-hmm. place where books are sold, uh, and so that's going well. It's exciting to see that go, um, and uh, that launched in June thir- June thirteenth, two thousand twenty three. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm I'm thinking about I don't know exactly what my next book is going to be about, but I'm starting to get my mind turning on around on that, and uh, so I'll probably start the writing process there in probably a couple months from now. Well, check out Misled if you haven't already, ladies and gentlemen. You can get it at Amazon, wherever you get books. You can also go back in the archives of this podcast. Probably sometime around May, we had a conversation about Misled. Uh, great uh, insights into seven lies out there that are being told to Christians or even non-Christians that you want to avoid. You want to know the truth about them. So check that book by Alan Parr. Also check out his YouTube channel and go to Let's Equip. Dot com, dot com forward slash Bible Accelerator. Forward slash Bible Accelerator. All great stuff. And if you want Alan to speak, how do they do that? They can go to my personal website, alanparr.com okay. slash speaking. And there's a form there and they can uh, fill that out. And I'd be happy to entertain the possibility of speaking at a church or conference. A-L-L-E-N-P-A-R-R.com. It's Alan. Been great, brother. Frank, thanks as always. Oh, always yeah. great to, to connect with you, man. All right, friends, check him out, and Lord willing, we will see you here next week. God bless.